Good Friday, everyone. Welcome to the VaultQuest.com podcast, a mailbag edition brought to you by Blue Water Climate Control. Be sure and check them out at BlueWaterClimateControl.com. We thank them for their continued support of the VaultQuest.com podcast. With Rob Lewis, Jesse Simonton, and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. We'll jump right into it, guys, this morning. Uh, LF Vol wants to know, seems Tennessee restocked at receiver in 2020 and can go for high-end guys in 2021. How is Tennessee positioned with a guy like Trey Curry? And how high is he on the board at this point in time? Well, I think Trey definitely likes Tennessee, and Tennessee likes Trey. I, you know, I, I think he's a guy Tennessee's going to continue to evaluate. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, not to say that it's like that two years ago where they want to see him come camp, but I think they want to – I think they, they hope, the hope is, is to get all these guys in here and watch them compete, you know, and, and get a feel for what they are like, you know, as a competitor. You know, it helps that Tennessee's got, you know, two kids at, you know, Bradley that they're – they're looking at um, with Jalvin Burke being the other one. So, uh, you know, I think that he's on. He's definitely on the list. I don't want to say he's number one, but I mean he's definitely up there. Where, where, where's, where do you where do you got wide wide receiver as a need in this class? I got it pretty low. I mean, I would think they'd probably take two AP. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, and I, and if we think so that they can hold on to Mosley, if they hold on to Mosley, then we're talking about one spot. Right? right, that's right. So, be, so, so, really selective at that position. Yeah, and, More I, and, so than and, other and maybe, and maybe, you know, they need to take a tight end in this class. This state obviously has two good ones. One's already committed to Clemson. A lot of competition for Hudson Wolf. I think Tennessee really likes the Trinity Bell kid. You know, at tight end, so that could be an option there. Well, they already um, got one receiver committed to Jordan Mosley. That's, that's what, what I'm saying. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. you'll have one spot left yeah. if you take Mosley. And so then you'd be really selective. And right. if that's Trey Curry, it's Trey Curry. If not, it's not. You know. Mosley, I think, is supposed to be in here. March 7th? No. March 1st? March 1st, because they're going to play in the 7-on-7 deal up in Gatlinburg. The 29th? Yes, and spend the night, and they can come on campus on that Sunday. All right, let's go and to – that's when, as, as a little tease, we had it in the war room, but I think that's when Tennessee's hoping that they can get the quarterback from California in here. Casey's kidding. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. they're flying. They're, they're, they're 7-on-7 teams flying in, in, into Tennessee for that. All right, let's go to JPL Vols. What in-state recruits Tennessee pushing for right now, and what in-state players do you think make a decision in spring? You got anybody on on early watch list? Not necessarily for Tennessee, but a guy you think is going to come off the board. Well, I, you know, I'm watching Dietrich Pennington as a guy that they're put going to they're going to push hard for. I don't think that ends anytime soon, though. I mean, like, but that's one that they covet, right? In the worst way, he's probably top. He's probably Hudson top, Hudson top Wolf. I think comes off the board sometime. You know, you have to understand now. Spring, I I, I go all go off the, the map. Spring starts March 20th and runs through, you know. June. So between March and June, I think Hudson Wolf comes off the board uh, during spring. And so uh, I think he's going to officially visit here for the spring game. So I, I think that, you know, he potentially comes off the board to somebody, whether it's here or not. I think he comes off the board in the spring. In the mid-state, I don't see turn time doing anything. I think it'll be a little bit longer on him. Same with um, Colson, probably. Yeah. You know, Jonathan Burke's one I'm interested to see, you know, the where's he at after he takes a couple of visits in the spring William you know. Griffin same thing yeah, yeah. okay uh, Bronco Vall wants to know why hasn't it been announced that Winky signed a new deal if he leaves hypothetically who would take his spot I don't see Chris Winky leaving I don't think there's going to be I think everybody's yeah the NF, in the NFL's basically filled out what they're doing I guess it, if, if Colorado ever decides on a coach and there's a tie there, perhaps that's the case. Tennessee's still not announced Jimmy Brumbaugh and, and Sheldon Felton. Right. So, I mean, like, getting someone to, who re-signed a contract, I mean, 
sure that's low on the totem pole. Well, I mean, Rump and Rocker are still listed as employees on, on the UT website at this point in time. Yeah, so, so Drew Hughes. They haven't been in any hurry to, to get any of that stuff done. But I think bottom line is I don't think you have perhaps to worry, the, Perhaps that ball will get in motion now that Tennessee has announced Zach Stipe's replacement. Yeah. Or that we know he has personally announced his own replacement. Yeah, I, I think that – Perhaps. Um, I think that – Winky's going to be here, though. I mean, I think that's a deal done. I think everybody wants – I think Jeremy Pruitt wants him back. I think he's going to be here spring practice working the quarterbacks. I don't see him going anywhere else. I don't see another opening coming um, in terms of, of him leaving. Again, the only job out there available right now is Colorado uh, that could create any kind of domino effect in, um, in, 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 college, uh, in college football, and I, and I don't see that being the case at all. All right, let's go to uh, Matt for Rocky Top. Can you shed any more light on the uh, outside linebacker position coming in the spring or Johnson and Bennett starting with the first teamers? You got Johnson and Bennett as the starters? Uh, I mean, we'll see. I think this is a big spring. I think Bennett's DeAndre a starter. Johnson. Yeah. I right. think Bennett's definitely a starter. DeAndre Johnson? Where does Kavaris Crouch play? How maybe out of default because, you know, Crouch is not there in the spring and, and, and those type of things, but I think that – that without a doubt. What happens with what happens with, with Roman Harrison is in he, year two? Is that, he stay that there? Development? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Roman Harrison to me is the real X factor in this deal. Because, I mean, like, what if he takes a big jump? You know, he played more at the end of the year than he did at the beginning. So, uh, you know, that's one I'm definitely watching to see if he can take a jump this spring and what kind of impact, um, you know, can a guy like Shelton Felton have on him? All right, let's go to Galilee. Vols did great in Memphis this year. Next year's class not as good, but the 2022 class is better. Do you see any fallout with David Johnson not heading up the Vols' efforts in Memphis? No, because Memphis is down in 2021. You know, so there's only a handful of kids that you know Tennessee's going to have interest in. So I, I don't see them. I don't see there being a fall off. I think you're naturally going to take less kids, and they would have taken less kids had DJ been here. Um, you know, I, again, I think DJ did a phenomenal job of keeping things warm when you know things got dicey you know, early on when they didn't want several of those kids. But at the end of the day, you know, I think that they'll be just fine with T. Martin in Memphis. Arberger wants to know, can you rewind two years to the start of Pruitt's rebuild? If the ultimate goal is competing for the, the SEC, how has Jeremy Pruitt done so far? What areas do you think he gets positive marks for? What areas do you think he would like to do over? And then fast forward at two years, where do you think this Tennessee program is at? I'm going to jump in here first. I think he gets positive marks for me for growth, okay? I think he's a guy who got better. I mean, I, I think he realizes realized some things that, that maybe he didn't do the right way. Maybe he was too hard-headed about it. I mean, this is the same guy that told Austin, you and I sitting there uh, when we interviewed him before the start of his first year, I mean, if I can call the offense, I'll call the offense. You know, if I can't call the defense, I'm not going to be a head coach. Yet he lets Derek Hansley in year two call the defense. I think he's grown, and well, that's where he gets his positive marks for me. Well, agreed. He's identified some areas where you know he came up short, whether it be just little things like you know the office hours for the coaches and grinding them to a to a nub, or, or you know other things. I mean, let's face it. I mean, he kind of has done a do over with some of his staff. I mean, he he chose to you know replace Terry Fair. He chose to you know at the end of the day. I mean, Tyson Helton will be back whether he got a job at Western Kentucky or not. So. You know, I mean, he, he's kind of got a he's, – he's had his own do-over um, in a lot of ways. And, and I think more than anything, and Jeremy will be the first to tout that I was a high school coach, you know, and I think that does behoove him to a lot of high school coaches when he's recruiting. But I think that mentality of – I mean, I call it offense. You know, that's, that's one of those things where 
I think he's had to grow and realize this isn't high school. I think he's I gotten think, a lot better at just the big picture stuff, you know, stepping back and not feeling dealing like he has with to his donors, head. dealing with media. I mean, I was I was going to say PR wise. I mean, I think he's night and day. I mean, I think he's <laughs> yeah. way more way more comfortable in his own skin. Just you know, I mean, he's not Mike Leach by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not afraid to show a little personality. You know, like I think he was in the beginning, and just. You know, he's not a Phil former level CEO type right now, but, I mean, he's certainly moved in that direction. I well, think. and he don't care to bust chops. I mean, he's made fun of my Peter Millar shirts. He's made fun of Jesse doing cycling. I mean, like, you know, he he, he likes to, you know, he, he's not the stiff that sometimes everybody portrays him to be. He, I mean, well, he, knows how, he was he, the stiff year one. Correct. I mean, That's right. Question. That's where he's gotten better is, is knowing people. I, I think an area where it, tangibly you can see the growth too and, and I think this uh, what we've mentioned is certainly qualifies but on the practice field the fact that he realized hey how can I get the most out of these 85 guys so he manipulated what they did for something he'd never done before because of Trey Smith right and he pulled back the horses a little bit after beating the hell out of them you know the year before yeah. uh just before the Vandy game and I think that is that's real growth. I mean, right. that's t- and that Tennessee doesn't rattle off six games in a row to end the season. If he's wearing if, them out, yeah. If, if if they don't do some of that, and in a real tangible way, I mean, he's I mean, obviously, but we haven't mentioned yet, he's upgraded the roster, you know, big time, especially well, uh, especially in the lines of scrimmage. I, do, I will. Th- yeah. I think in terms of a criticism, I think AP and I agree. Year one, yeah, everyone's everyone's at it. Everyone is at a disadvantage as a first time head coach. We we've talked about it a lot with the early signing period. But he built that first staff hoping that, hey, all those relationships these guys know all these other five stars at all these other places. Maybe we can just create this combustible deal where it just explodes here at Tennessee. We were all the main recruiter for, you know, Elijah Griffin or uh, Quay Walker, Walker, Tyson Campbell, and and all these guys. And it just – it. It didn't pan out. It didn't pan out, right. and then it left them kind of reaching for some areas yeah. that I, I just think – I think that if he had a mulligan on that, he'd say, we're shortchanged on part of our roster because of what we did in that first signing. Well, and I think that he is a – he and, and some other guys, but particularly Jeremy Pruitt because he's not gone like Willie Taggart and, and some other coaches who came in there that first year, the early signing period – that's a bit of a he's a bit of a poster child or a little bit of a test for new other new coaches coming in on what how to handle the early signing period because I think for anybody getting a job that early signing period is a real challenge now for how you manage that and, and you know he, he he shot for the you know swung for the fences and, and missed and probably could have got some better players had they handled had they gone after some some other players early on instead of focusing on a bunch of guys that ended up not being realistic for them. All right, Allval SLC, how's the Cade Mays thing coming along? Any chances for eligibility next season? Is there still high hopes for that? There's been some talk out there that maybe it's not going to end well in terms of that appeal. What do you think? I don't have anything new. I don't have anything new other than that that Tom Mars did make a statement that wasn't, it was to the athletic, that wasn't as uh, glowing as as firm in terms of his confidence initially, but and that's just kind of with the understanding that it seems that the NCAA is inundated with these cases, and it's kind of how fast do they get to him, and how good is your lawyer? We know Tom is a good lawyer. I still wonder though if the new tra- if a new transfer rule up? is coming into play, do do you do you go ahead and just wipe some of these across the board. Yeah, because people. if you don't, and then it comes into the, you know, it's like the whole 
you know, play four games and you can still redshirt. Think about, you know, you go back two years ago, how, who, who did that hurt? You know, who lost a year of eligibility that they won't get back? I'm surprised you've not seen somebody try to cash in on that, you know. I mean, that's not fair when, when you're later, you know. You know. Yeah, I, I just don't – I mean, I wonder how quick that transfer rule will go into place and, and how that would uh, affect the NCAA's thinking behind the scenes on that deal when they look at current transfer cases in terms of immediate eligibility. I don't think you're going to hear a ruling on that anytime soon. I, I think that's going to be a up-in-the-summer, unknown-type deal that, that everybody's going to wonder about with, with Cade Mays. All right, Rocky Top 73. Rob, he wants to know how much of the men's basketball team's inconsistency and poor offensive production is due to the players' unfamiliarity with each other. Would the Vols have been more consistent and productive this year had Lamonte not had his injury that ended his career at Tennessee? Oh. I think obvious on the Lamonte thing. Yeah, I mean, don't think there's any question. I mean, your point guard got here December 28th. You got, you know, he was playing 35-plus minutes a game for you. You got biting his arm. I mean, part of it is like, I mean, you've talked about this in terms of the, the, the Bowden deal and why Bowden misses Turner so much because they had a chemistry to know where he was going to be on the floor. When, when Lamonte went left, you know, on a dribble drive, if Bowden was on that side of the floor, Lamonte knew where Bowden wanted the ball for that three-point shot. Whereas, you know, Vescovi or even Josiah James, who didn't go through October, doesn't have that feel for where guys are going to be and where they want the ball. Even... Even ball placement on a curl for, for Jordan Bowden is different with Vescovi versus Lamonte Turner, don't you think? No question. I mean, it's, I mean, I don't think you can overstate it. I mean, you look at this, the contrast between last year's team, when I'm talking about – when I say chemistry, I mean on-court chemistry because, I mean, they, they still have a good locker room. I mean, it's, right. that, that, that part of it is, is real strong. But when you're talking about a guys who, by the midway point of last year, had played over 100 basketball games together. You know, you're starting five for the most part, and you just can't replicate that with, you know, this many new pieces at all. So, I mean, I think that's a huge deal. Yeah, I mean, I think Lamonte, and not just Lamonte being, not being here, but not being healthy at any point in the year. I, I, I just, I mean, Rick has not used it as an excuse. I mean, he's quick to say that everybody, you know, goes, goes through things like that. But, I mean, I, there's no way to quantify this, but just as an example, I think they would, if, if Lamonte is on the court and is, Lamonte from a couple, you know, the last couple of years. I think they win Texas A&M. They win South Carolina. So I mean, if they if that happens, they're sitting here at what eight and five in the SEC. You got a chance to finish I mean, as high as second or third. I mean, in the it's a totally. I mean, this just those two giveaway games. I mean, it's and, and who I'm not saying he may, may may have made an impact somewhere else, but those are two that I can point to where I think, yeah, he's worth two points in that game. Yeah, and and you're, and it changes the dynamics of where this team is in terms of tournament play and opportunities there because you're approaching the 20 win mark and you've got a chance to finish as high as second or somewhere between second and fourth in, in SEC play. All right, let's go to Vol Lover. The last time there was this much optimism, that's his name, Vol Lover. Last time there was this much optimism <laughs> surrounding the football program was heading into the 2016 season. Then you had the 5-0 start. You had many proclaiming that Tennessee football was back. All that proved to be fool's gold as things headed downhill fast. Fast forward to 2020. There's that same type of excitement under Jeremy Pruitt. How optimistic should Vol fans be about the future under Pruitt? And what makes this different than any time before during uh, the past decade wander through the wilderness? Well, it's 2016 it was such a missed opportunity because they legitimately were a top 10 team that had a chance, I think, to, to not only win the East but compete for the SEC. I think the, as the four of us sit here today, we do not view Tennessee in 2020 in that light. Tennessee is on an upward trajectory 
but I would very much be surprised if Tennessee even won 10 games next season. Yeah, for me, I mean, I just want to pump the brakes on that because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's you're talking about when you're 5-0, you'd, you know, beat App State at home, you beat won the Battle of Bristol, you beat Florida and Georgia. I mean, Tennessee won games this past year that they've not been able to win. Missouri, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, in, in that six-game run, and that's good. That's a, that's a huge step in the right direction. But you've still got to, to get to take the – you know, the, the step that that 2016 team made, you've got to be able to win those games against, you know, the big three. You know, not all of them, but you at least won one. And so, um, I, 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 you know, Jesse and I are on the different ends of the spectrum on this. I, I think moving Georgia later in the year is a good thing for Tennessee. He's right from the standpoint of it gives them a chance. It gives Georgia, with all the inexperience on offense, a chance to grow. But to me, it, it's better for Tennessee because they don't have Florida, Georgia. West team, Alabama, like this murderer's row in, in a row. Like you have it spaced out a little bit more. So, um, you know, can Tennessee win one of those three games this year? Yeah, they can beat Florida at home. And who knows, Georgia late in the year, you don't know what they'll be. You just don't. So, I mean, you, you never know. Um, but I do think that, you know, he's right. Ten games, you know, in the regular season would be, you know, to me, a, a, that would be a tough undertaking. And I'd go back to 2016. Tennessee's program to start that year was on firmer footing in a better place than Florida or Georgia. You know, yeah. yeah, that's not the case. Yeah, right now. Yeah, I, no, I agree. I agree with that. I mean, I, I think Jesse said it best. I mean, of, of all the ten years in the wilderness, and and even the last fifteen years or so, that 2016 year may have, there may not have been a greater missed opportunity for Tennessee than than, than what it was that. And year. even fifteen when they blew all those leads. I mean, like that was back to back years where they could have. Oh know. yeah. I mean, the I mean, sixteen was a veteran correct. team. Yeah, had, yeah. who was who, who had talent at a lot of positions. I mean, you had, sure. you had Alvin, and you know, obviously you had a difference maker at quarterback and Dobbs. You had Barnett on the other side. You just had you had a lot of weapons. You had, there's a lot of NFL players that were on that sixteen team that just blew the opportunity to win a championship or, or win a division. Because when you beat Florida and Georgia, you ought to be in Atlanta. If you if you if you lose you win those two games and you don't get to Atlanta, it's a total collapse. And what, it, that was certainly the case for that it's, team. It's one of the most impressive tricks Butch Jones ever. It's yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's just you, it's total collapse. It's like, you can't beat Florida and Georgia and not make Atlanta. Hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, real Watch Joe. Watch this, Houdini. Yeah, real Joe French wants to know, Rob, any chance Pines uh, jumps this year like Bone did a year ago? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't completely rule it out by any stretch of the imagination, but I mean, right now, I don't think so, but um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I know that he's aware of his status as a guy that the NBA is, you know, we're, that, that they see him as a multi-positional defender and, and somebody that will have a chance to make a roster, but again, I just, I, I don't, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion by any stretch of the imagination. I would tend towards saying it's not likely, but to answer his question, yeah, I mean, there's a chance. Yeah, I like I like Joe's questions here, so we're going to continue with part two in his three-part post. Uh, with a healthy um, Josiah James, Pond's back, and the way Folky is developing, add in the freshman class, how would you compare expectations for that team compared to the last year? To last year are some of the late Pearl squads in terms of next year's team expectations. Um, I mean, I think, I think it's best. fair to expect them to be a fringe top 10 team. I like the fact that, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the freshmen. I've seen Keon a lot. I've seen Jaden several times. And I think they're. Did everybody just forget about Corey Walker, by the way? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. But he's, I mean, he's, he's going to be a good player. But he's, I mean, he's probably going to, assuming Pons is back, and he'll back Pons up, but he'll play a lot. But, um, I, I mean, I would set this, not set the ceiling, but I, I think it's fair to expect a Sweet 16 
team. And I really like the fact that they're going to, you know, they're going to have a nice mix of youth and veterans. I think that's a it's big It's not going to be a Fab Five deal. Yeah. It's not going to be five, I, I think four, that's five a, I think that's a huge way. deal. Yeah. I mean, I think being old in college basketball is, is a really good thing. I mean, just look look around the country right now. I mean, you're not you're not getting it done at a super high level, you know, if that's how you're – and you haven't been except for Duke did it one year, Kentucky did it one year. And outside of that, I mean, you need to have a mix. Yeah, no question. All right, his last question is to you, Austin. Anything new on Evans? Zach Evans realizes that no one really knows, but curious if the staff feels the same about their shot with him today as they did a month ago. Yeah, I don't think anything's really changed. I mean, like, you know, continue to have dialogue. But, I mean, at this point, I would I would take the field versus Tennessee for Zach Evans. I mean, like, I just – I'm not saying they're safest not going to. Yeah, it's the safest bet. I'm not going to say they won't get him, but, you know. I but mean, when you but look they're at, not But not in the catbird seat. No, yeah. and, and nothing's trending or anything either. So, I mean, like, it's one of those things where they're still in it, still talking, but, you know, that, that, one, that one seems, again, like it's going to have 15 or 16 more turns before it's all said and done. All right. Delmar 6477. Rob, let's hear true feelings. If the Vols miss the NCAA tournament, does Barnes or the roster bear more of the burden? Is it concerning that the best guard on the team is the guy who's uh, that has really? Wait a minute. Is it concerning that the best guard on the team is a guy that has really been developed by Barnes? Just he just kind of showed up and started playing. I guess he's saying he wasn't developed by Barnes. Vascovi's the best guard. He just showed up here. I love Rick Barnes. I think he's an outstanding man and coaching at UT. And UT's lucky to have him. I just thought after the last two seasons that the Vols would never miss the NCAA tournament again under his tenure. I mean, I think it's the roster's fault. I mean, it's abundantly odd. I mean, you can blame Rick for constructing this roster, sure. I mean, he's the head coach, but I mean, my God, look at it. Last year, you lost four multi-year starters to the NBA or, you know, two-way contracts. And what would you replace them with? Not and the two-way same, contracts is, I mean, that's, that's a good basketball not the same, Not the same level of ability. I mean, I, and, and I mean, the, 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 he, he's the best guard of the team wasn't developed. What about – you think John Fulkerson's been developed, any? Do you ever think he was going to score 25 points in an SEC game? Or Eve Ponds being actually realistic. Well, yeah, or Eve Ponds being a, on NBA draft boards when he couldn't, you know, dribble and chew gum at the same time as a freshman. And even last I year mean, just disappeared. I mean, like, come on. It's, the guy didn't forget how to coach. Well, I mean, here's the thing, too. I mean, Vescovi, look, I, I, I mean, I think it's a great story what he's done. He's still averaging about six turnovers a game at the point where he's a defensive spot. liability. You know, I mean, he would play. He would be a factor on this team. If Lamonte Turner had he not, would not gotten be hurt, over but he would not have get, been given the ball. No, their bench say, hey, would be way better. Their, their bench, which is non-existent, would be way better if he was. If he oh, was no question. Off of it, you no, know? no question. I mean, what would have been nice if if Turner could have stayed healthy is you could have moved Turner off the ball some and let him play the two and, and play Vescovi at the one and, and give yourself some more options. And then at times you could have brought Turner back to the point position, let him play point. You just had flexibility Lamonte, there. More, I mean, more importantly, Lamonte would be guarding the ball on defense right. all the time as yeah. opposed to throwing Santiago out there and saying, hang on. Yeah. All right, let me tell you a little bit about Blue Water Climate Control, where, we, where you get your comfort today. When your system breaks, you want a company that will get you there fast and do the right repair the right way the first time. Blue Water responds to more than 90% of their calls the same day that they're received. Blue Water offers 24-hour service, and all the technicians are trained and certified. Call them today at 865-299-2290. Mention VolQuest, and you'll get your diagnostic for free with repairs. 865-299-2290 is the number. 
Give them a call at Blue Water Climate Control. You can check them out online, bluewaterclimatecontrol.com, or you can visit them on Twitter at Blue H2O underscore climate. Blue H2O underscore climate. Borough Boys 615 wants to know, why do you think that there is uh, blue chip quarterbacks rarely coming out of the state of Tennessee? Is it the offensive style in high school or what? What has prevented the state of Tennessee from producing a lot of blue chip quarterbacks? Although I think there's a couple coming down the pike in the next few years. Well, there are. Um, you know, the, the, the young uh, freshman at Brentwood Academy, obviously Ty Simpson uh, in the 20, uh, 22 class, the freshman at Brentwood Academy is, or not Brentwood Academy, but MBA, sorry, Montgomery Bell Academy, um, is a uh, 2023. Um, I think he's going to be a, a Power Five SEC type guy. So, I mean, but he's right that for, you know, if you go back, I mean, anybody that's actually found the attraction out there, the Chad Penningsons and, you know, those type of guys, you know, they weren't highly coveted it's, players. It's, it's remarkable. I mean, the whole time we've been doing this. I think part of it is, for the longest time, the wing tee was so prevalent in the say, state. Ingle Martin, B.J. Coleman, those the two highest-rated yeah. guys. But I, I, I mean, I mean I, <laughs> this is a state that was late to the spread, late to a lot of throwing offenses. I mean, Chad Pennington played in the wing tee. You know, I mean, he didn't throw the ball you know, half a dozen times a game. He, he might go, it might take him three games to throw it six times. And so I think offensive style probably did limit some of that stuff. I think the other thing, too, is over the last decade, look at how the high school football in the state has improved. There's a lot more specialized training now. You know, you got a guy, a guy who's playing a quarterback is not necessarily the point guard on the basketball team and the starting pitcher, you know, the baseball team, playing summer league, travel baseball. I mean, it's a guy who's specializing in quarterback development. Yeah. And I think as a result, you're going to see, continue to see some guys come across the state. Yeah, the one guy we didn't mention right then was Caden Martin, who, again, has never really put a ton of time into the football. He's just naturally gifted, you know. I mean, but, I mean, you know, when spring gets here, he's on the baseball diamond. So he misses out on spring practice, you know. Then, you know, summertime gets here. He's still on the baseball diamond. And then, basically, he rolls right off the diamond onto the practice field in August. That's hard to improve at, at you know, at, at, at football if you're not putting a ton of time into it. But he's just naturally gifted and can, can make a lot of throws. And, you know, if he grows – He's going to blow up. Like, I mean, he's already got offers, okay? Don't get me wrong. But I'm talking like if he grows and can get to his dad's height of 6'3", then he's a guy that I think really takes off one way or the other, whether it's, you know, top-end baseball player with a high draft pick or, or, you know, power five legit quarterback. What do you think he's going to do, AP? I mean, I know, it's, I, I, I know there's no answer right now, but if you just had to guess, I mean, you think it depends on his growth? Or? I think he loves baseball, but I think he kind of wants to be a football player. I, you know, I, again, I think his, you know, everybody tells him futures in baseball, futures in baseball, but I think he's kind of driven by the, you know, the, the doubting for football. I think he likes football. And the Kyler Murrays of the world doesn't hurt the idea of playing football because, you know, if you can make it to that next level, then the money up front in football is a lot better than the money up front. Well, you're not in riding baseball. minor league buses for yeah. three or four years. Which is yeah. what, a lot of, what a lot of those guys are looking at. And, I mean, I don't know if he's probably too young to be thinking about this. I mean, quarterbacks have never been protected like they are right now because of the rules of the game. I mean, I'm not saying there's not an injury risk, but I don't think it's what it was 10, 10 15 years ago. Yeah, I agree. C. Toust 1 wants to know any idea who will get the special teams coordinator title. We think it's going to be Jay Graham? <clears throat> I don't know if anybody will get it. They may spread the spread Space. around the responsibilities. Just may not just may not hand that title out. Yeah, may save that. May save pocket. that one until you have to give somebody a raise. Yeah, may do it. <laughs> may use it as a little bit of leverage. All right, Deshaun thirteen. Which new position coach Jesse makes the biggest impact 
that could be on the field or in recruiting. Which new position coach you see making the biggest impact between Brumball, Graham, uh, and Shelton Felton? Uh, we're not including Osvet in this? Yeah, I got to throw Osvet. He's doing there for four. I'm going to say Osvet just because I think he has the most relationships currently with 2021. So we're talking yeah. about Damian Robinson, Christian Ballou, some of the other kids up that way. I mean, those are guys that Tennessee covets that he's gotten to campus. Um, that's not to say Shelton Felton can't have uh, an impact in Georgia or Brumball, wherever he you know lands in terms of his area of responsibilities, but that, that's the safest bet to me. Okay. Um, James Mills wants to know, first time, uh, long time listener, first time caller, first time poster here. Um, it's been widely discussed that we could have a quarterback or two to leave after spring ball and maybe a running back as well. Do we think there would be any other positions we see this at two? Maybe a senior defensive lineman that doesn't get that much play, wants to start somewhere else, or a linebacker that can't, grab the, or can't crack the two deep? I, think there's, I mean, I think in this day and age. I think Jim Jordan's a candidate because, I mean, like, the more Eric Gray ascends to, you know, his role, Ty Chandler's already ahead of, of, of Tim Jordan. Does, you know, does, does Tim look around? Because, I mean, like, you know, you're talking about, you know, your, your time is doing one down, you only got a year left. You know, does he, does he make the move um, after spring? I think that's one I'm watching. Yeah. All right. A couple more here. We'll wrap this thing up. Uh, T. France wants to know, with the new transfer rule that might go into place, won't the transfer market be followed as most, almost as close as recruiting? Is there a fear of a purge after a coaching change where something like 30 or 40 guys could possibly leave? Also, what if a player signs in an early period and changes his mind and can't get out of his LOI? Can he go ahead and use his one-time transfer before he steps on campus anywhere? I mean, we, we talked a lot about this on Monday. I do think the, the fears of that 30-40 purge is the exact reason why I think coaches are going to advocate hard for the 85 and get rid of the 25 so that if that does happen that you then are allowed to sign as many kids as you want. Yeah, you can sign 35, um, you sign 35. Uh, I also think there's, you know, a lot of folks are worried about the tampering and stuff. The tampering happens anyways. If the NCAA wants the tampering to stop, the NCAA can actually put its foot down. Right now the NCAA just doesn't seem to really – be too concerned about you know all the conversations that are happening behind the scenes whether it's football or basketball yeah they're not going to put their foot down so, on that if they got will wade on tape offering kids well that's what i'm saying know, like, so, so, but, gonna... but, but a lot of folks are seem to be seem to be raising that objection so i think the one thing about this i mean i think this is driven largely by the fact that the ncaa can't manage the amount of people at requesting waivers they've allowed the waiver thing to become out of control uh, they're afraid of getting sued. I think in typical NCAA fashion, they don't look at all sides of things. I wonder what it's going to do to a team, to a guy who's at Central Florida, Memphis, or, or even at a lower level. I mean, because if you're sitting there and you think this, you know, if you're a junior, you know, like, for example, Chattanooga's got three guys on the Titans roster. Do you think any of those three guys would have finished their career at Chattanooga if they had a one-time transfer waiver to transfer up? Nope. Yeah, that's a good. That's I mean, a great so it's gonna it's gonna kill those. So so here's a guy at Memphis putting up big numbers, but everybody says, "Hey, you need to play better competition." He knows he's not gonna play for a, in the college playoff. He's not gonna play for a championship. Does he say, "Hey, I'm gonna go improve my NFL stock for a year by going into the SEC"? But the because the SEC didn't want me when I was a freshman, and that was Memphis was the or best an- opportunity. Another I had. wrinkle to that. I mean, just sticking with Memphis. Say there's you know three guys there, and your junior quarterback just had a great year. Mike Norvell gets a, you know. It's the Florida State job. How many of those kids in this scenario go with it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think again, they're, they're, they're I wonder if they'll set it up where you can't, you cannot, kind of like you can't follow, like you know, Crouch cannot follow 
his high school coach to his next destination. I wonder if they set it up for that scenario where you can't follow your coach if he leaves. Would that apply to assistance, I wonder? I mean, how yeah, far, I mean, how far you know, what, you stretch what, it? I mean, again, I think there's – on the surface, it's easy to say, yeah, it's the right thing to do, and I'm not saying that they don't need to have the flexibility to transfer. I, I think there's a lot of sense in, in that. There's some side effects to it that nobody well, one proposal, has looked at. Well, one proposal that's out there, too, is that – talking about coaching changes is that you have a one-time transfer if uh, your coach leaves. That's it. Not that it's a, not that it's free agency, but that if your if your coach leaves, that's your one, that's your one ticket. But does that apply to head coaches or position coaches? Well, there's two different there's two different uh, forms out. And there. think about that because you know this would happen. Say Jeremy's talking to Jay Graham and he's like, "Hey, I got a two hundred fifty thousand dollars raise and a three year guaranteed contract for you if you can bring player A and B with you." Also, I mean that will happen. Oh, absolutely! That conversation is <laughs> going to happen. You know, hey, you can become be my quarterback's coach, but you got to bring you got to bring, bring your quarterback. Five, you got to bring your starting quarterback with you if if you're going to do that. You know, well, Will Muschamp got that with Bobo. Yeah, right. I mean, they did. I mean, the kid transferred. That no, was a grad transfer. He right. he earned his time. He that, that, kudos. You know, I, I don't besmirch the kid at all, but you know, South Carolina gets Bobo and, and a guy who's put up a whole lot of yards, but was hurt last year. You know, leaves Colorado State, and I think has a good. I think has a really good shot of at uh, unseating Holinsky uh, this year. Wow, uh, Go Vols twenty nineteen. Austin wants to know where does Tennessee stand with Travion Henderson? Uh, I won't say chasing. I just think they're in a big pack of schools. You know, trying to jockey for for position. I mean, you know, he by no means is leaning here. I don't know if he's really leaning anywhere. I think he's got a lot of teams he likes um oklahoma georgia tennessee penn state ohio state um there are several schools that you know i think he, he's got a lot of interest in yeah i don't think all right last one ap for you here iron ball wants to know uh, where do you think chase hayden's going to transfer to and what kind of impact would his transfer have on dallin's recruitment well i think that obviously it would make things you know i won't say shutting you know I don't think he shuts it down. Dallas would one school, you know, be his own person. But I think obviously it gives Tennessee, you know, the the edge if if Chase ends up here. Um, I'm interested to see where does B, does Bielema get the Colorado job. You know, if he does, he's the one that recruited Chase to Arkansas. Bielema has stayed in contact with the with that family uh, since he since he left and went to, you know, the Patriots and so on and so forth. So. Um, uh, that one would be worth watching if B- if Bielema gets that job uh, in Boulder. Bielema right. is chasing them jobs this offseason, man. He is. Man. He, he is. certainly is. And so his Arkansas checks stopped coming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> once they decided they're not going to pay him. All right, Rob, Charlie Work wants to know, um, assuming Pines and J.J., uh, Josiah James stay for next year, which I'm, I don't know where Josiah James will be going, um, what's your starting lineup, and do you think Tennessee gets another big man in the class of 2020? Uh, I mean, somebody's going to have to leave if that were to happen. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I know Tennessee's open to the possibility of taking a grad transfer. I think that's what they'd really like to do. If they could find somebody, you know, quality guy to help them. Dylan Cardwell's still out there. Tennessee's still in contact with him. But right now, you know, somebody, somebody would have to transfer. Is that possible? Yeah. I mean, that's possible. Starting lineup, man, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Too early for me to say. I mean, I, I penciled Fulke and, and uh, Pons in. And after that, I don't know. I mean, there's going to be some intense competition. I, I have a very hard time thinking that Springer and Keon won't start if both of those guys arrive here healthy. 
But if that's the case, neither you know Josiah or Viscovi is sitting. Not sitting. I mean, all those guys are going to play a lot. So I mean, I don't. I don't think the starting is really going to matter. I, mean, I think you're going to see a lot of guys. Those four guys, Jaden, Keon, Josiah, and Viscovi play. You know, 20, 25 minutes a game each, somewhere between there. All right, I, I'm going to piggyback off that with this question from I'm so Vol. Uh, of those three freshman basketball players next year, which one will be the best player when the season comes to an end? Mm, when it comes to an end? At the end of the year, yeah. Uh, I think it depends on – I mean, I think Keon is going to – you know, it, it's tough for any freshman immediately offensively. I think Keon is going to make an, an instant impact just because he is going to be so good defensively just out of the gate. I mean, he's going to be able to lock people down. Not to, That's not to say that Jaden is not a good defender, but, I mean, Keon is special in that way with his length and his athleticism and his attitude towards playing defense. Uh, Springer, I, I would I would guess, is probably going to have better numbers just because he's – I mean, he is a scoring machine. He's a pure scorer and can help you on the ball and off the ball offensively. But, I, I mean, I think it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. I mean, what are they rated right now? 15 and 16 in the, in the 2020 class. So, I mean, I, flip a coin. They're both, they're both going to be really good. Uh, Jesse Ball in L.A., who's replacing Director of Player Personnel, Drew Hughes. We think that's probably going to be Danny Stim. Yeah, right now it, it seems like Danny's going to earn that promotion. He's a guy Pruitt has a long history with. He's a Hoover High guy. Um, Pruitt trusts him. He's, we've discussed it before, this is a tape-grinding job, the way Tennessee kind of views that position. Uh, Danny is as diligent as, as anyone that, as they have in that room. The likelihood is they're simply looking for folks to hire as his replacement. And what, I mean, somebody asked this in the, in the thread, too. I don't have their screen name. What, what is the director of player personnel? I think it's different at every school. It is you? different at every school. I, I don't we, think there's a blanket like, cookie cutter to here that. They're year. not the GM type of deal, but uh, they have a say in personnel. Um, they, you know, help the staff kind of build that uh, recruiting board. But then they're out there constantly evaluating. They're looking at both prospects that, you know, Tennessee is heavily involved with. They're looking at prospects that Tennessee should get involved with. Um, I mean, you go into, the, you go into you know, Drew Hughes' old office, and he's got a giant, you know, war board and, you know, stickers and, and numbers and tape and colors and stuff everywhere. And, and it's also managing both uh, the recruiting board, but what does your current roster look like and how do you anticipate needs, needs potential attrition? You talked, you know, we talked about, you know, the guy like Tim Jordan could, you know, perhaps explore out, well, what are the, what's the domino effect of that? You know, it's the player personnel director to kind of be ready for the next move. It, it's interesting because in, in, in Tennessee's case, it feels like it's an evaluation job tape evaluation, but it's, a, it's an administrative job just in kind of an organization and, and helping the coach understand roster management. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And, they are, in, and they are in charge of recruiting. I mean, big, they, yeah. they also are in charge of the, you know, technically in charge of the on-campus uh, on recruiting staff. You know, they, they don't manage all the day-to-day duties of what goes on there, but they technically oversee that position. All right, last question of the Mailbag Podcast here is from Nashville 615. Probably too early to tell, but who fills the leadership void left by uh, Jawan, Nigel, Daryl Taylor, and Batuli? I know you can't replace a guy like Jawan Jennings, but who um, is the guy that gets everybody in line? He's vocal and, and takes takes the reins this, of this, this team. Is Trey Smith. <laughs> yeah, it's Trey Smith. But other, than, I, I do think that uh, we know Trey is an, is the most obvious one, but there's no doubt 
there's going to be a, there's gonna, there's some empty some loud voices left that room with Nigel and Jawan yeah, no deep, longer the here. The defensive side is the one I wonder. And, and I think that I think Jeremy's going to be peppered with this question, both at the beginning of the spring and then how has it kind of manifested itself by the end of spring. Well, I, I wonder if you know can an Alante, um, uh, you know Bryce Thompson take a leadership role. How vocal can Henry take? I, was gonna say, I think that's the guy everybody's going to look to. But how vocal? I, how, how how much of that is in his DNA and in his nature? I think I mean I think he's got those kind of qualities for yeah. sure on defense. But also I mean he's 19 years old. I mean it's man, I, I mean I think the way he plays, the way he works, I think that makes it you know feasible. But it's still a big ask for a sophomore. And I, I th- but I think that's the guy Jeremy Pruitt's going to push to take that role. He's going to be on that guy and, and spend a lot of time with him about being a, a quality leader. Uh, for this defense because they're going to need that guy for sure. All right, that's going to do it for this mailbag edition of the Blue Water Climate Control Podcast. For Austin Price, Rob Lewis, and Jesse Simonton, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend, everybody.